Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, Car Wash Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Matt DeWolf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Car Wash, the podcast. It is the podcast that makes you a better car washer and a better human being. I am Matt DeWolf, Editor-in-Chief of Car Wash Magazine, and this week we're talking about what's happening with Rob Schessel and Splash Car Washes in China. It's a fascinating adventure for Rob as he started out working on expanding express car washes in Eastern Europe, but ultimately landed in China. So how does that happen? Well, let's find out. Listen in as ICA CEO Eric Wolf shares Rob Schessel's story. Hi, this is Eric Wolf. I'm the CEO of International Car Wash Association. It's my pleasure today to be with Rob Schessel from Splash Car Washes in China, of all places. So Rob, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak. So where do we find you today? Where are you located? Um, Prague, which is exactly where you wouldn't expect to find somebody sitting talking about car washes in China. But uh, China's a, it's a little complicated to get into China these days. And so um, I've been, uh, been based in Europe for a bit of time and uh, trying again actually on Sunday to, to head back in and uh, submit myself to four weeks of quarantine in the, in the process. So looking wow. forward. What, uh, what interesting times we live in. I'm sure yeah. you appreciate that better than most with uh, your back and forths. But, yeah. you know, Rob, I guess you and I have probably have connected on and on for about 10 years. And yes. um, I'll, I'm so glad we reconnected and um, now understanding just how much things have exploded for you since we first met. But I know some of that history. Uh, those folks who are listening don't know all of it. So would you give us a little bit of a sense of, you know, how you found the car wash industry and and maybe what you were involved in prior to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty uh, non-standard story in the industry, I guess. My, my personal background is actually in the financial services. I started as, as an investment banker in New York and, and then spent about 15 years in venture capital and private equity in, in Europe. Um, and my, my introduction to the car wash sector was, was completely accidental. Um, actually, I was getting a car wash in Prague and was quite unhappy with the service and basically said, I can do better. Um, and so I started researching re- re- the industry. And you know, with my private equity background, I was quite used to um, looking at industries, uh, you know, looking for, for opportunity there. And this was in Prague. And, um, you know, I realized that, you know, what was on, uh, available, and this was, as you said, about 10 years ago, um, it was really kind of two sides of the spectrum. You had very expensive hand washes and you had, um, you know, the gantries at gas stations, with that, which at the time were of a very low quality. And there was really nothing in between. So I started to, you know, well, see that opportunity. The very first thing we did actually was went to Auto Mechanica, um, which was, you know, just a matter of weeks after I kind of started looking into the industry, saw there was a show up in Germany, went up, explored, met the folks at WashTech who um, gave me, you know, quite a quite an introductory tutorial as to the opportunity. And so, so actually I started um, looking at, you know, looking, entering the industry in, in Central Europe and spent quite a bit of time developing a business model here, um, had uh, you know, various opportunities lined up in Czech, Slovakia, Hungary, and Poland. And while I was working on the, the fundraising for that, 
um, was introduced to my now current Chinese business partner, James Ying, as a potential investor. And, you know, quick into that conversation, this is about, this is 2014, um, you know, James said, we should look at doing this in China, something I had never thought of. I'd been there years before as a tourist, but never, ever thought of, of doing business there. So in, in spring of 2014, I went over um, to, to meet with James and originally, again, you know, we were taking, I had developed a very, you know, kind of comprehensive business model for rolling out in Central Europe that was, you know, very heavily influenced by the German model, the American model of, you know, how the, how the you know, especially tunnel car washes operate. And um, so that was, you know, that was the original idea. I went to China um, thinking of basically replicating that model. James started by helping me just looking for locations, but as he got to understand, you know, the business better, got to understand the opportunity in China better, he got much deeper into it. And ultimately, um, we set up Splash. Um, we opened our first wash in, in 2018, which was China's first tunnel car wash. Um, and we're, you know, we started off as 50-50 partners and really haven't looked back since there. So let me back up a little bit, if you don't mind, because I mean, this, yeah. this started off, of course, you're an American, you were focused then on the sort of the Eastern European markets for a while, and now you find yourself in China. So I'm going to back up to the Europe stage for a second. What I love about the story, by the way, if I understand it right, so correct me, is you found Car Wash because of this, I'm going to call it a side hustle you had running a little bit with import-export of vehicles. Uh, yeah, and, and Is that right? Yeah, you, you remember very well. I um I was well, I was I was actually working in private equity at the time and as a side project with with a Czech friend. This was when the dollar was very weak and we started just importing luxury cars from the US. Basically, we were able to buy, resell for, you know, double our money. So there was a point in time where we had uh, eight or 10 cars in Prague um, that some were used, we were renting out, some we were selling and so yeah, that was actually so it was it was ultimately a bad car wash that that basically pissed me off enough to to uh, to you know say I can do it. But we you know that was my first real exposure to the industry. I grew up in Denver, washing my you know my car, my parents' cars in our driveway, and really had never um, had any exposure to the industry itself up until that point. Well, so, that's, the, that's the perfect, by the way, that's the perfect entrepreneurial entry point, right? Which is this, <laughs> I was frustrated with what was available, so I decided to fix it on my own. Uh, and I, did, I didn't want to let that part of the story go by. But <laughs> but um, so you had a you had a sort of a, a utility need. You had to find a good car wash for this project you had with import-export. But, but then given your finance orientation, you must have looked into the business deeper than that. So when you were still in the, in the European market, what was it about the business that you liked? What was intriguing to you, maybe particularly as a finance guy? I mean, you must have gotten into it and looked at this and had a pretty well-developed view of the business. What was attractive? Yeah, you know, I find the industry absolutely fascinating as I looked into it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be honest, I'm most interested in the developing markets because I've, I've never found another industry, you know, similar to this where, you know, the supply-demand fundamentals where there's such a, just a massive gap. You know, you look at Eastern Europe, um, you look at developing Asia and, you know, the disposable income, the volume of vehicles, the, the ex, you know, the, the dependence on services and the, the quality standards of services have just exploded over the past 20 years. But because of how, you know, fragmented this industry is, um, you know, there's no catalyst. I mean, in, in, you know, when I moved to Czech Republic, you'd have, you know, big chains in different industries come in and really act as a, as a catalyst for really, you know, 
kicking off pretty expedite, you know, uh, accelerated change within the in the market. But since the, the industry is so fragmented and also, you know, a lot of the operators who were doing well didn't really have any motivation to to do anything differently. You know, you'd have some some local operators that would have, you know, maybe a handful of washes that were doing very well. They weren't looking at it as, you know, as a rollout model. They were just happy to have a you know business that was generating good cash. And then you had the opposite side of the business, which were, you know, those that are really, you know, poor operators who, you know, were just happy to, you know, be scraping it together. So, so, you, you know, there's this, there's this gap that exists where, you know, a vehicle is something almost everybody has. And that just fascinated me that there was, you could have a service that was, you know, the most frequently used automotive service, you know, vast portion of the population has, has cars but that you know there was the, the you know the supply in these markets even where that they could support so much more um, was just so inadequate compared to where the demand was and so uh, I haven't actually seen another industry like that you know ever so that that was really what piqued my interest um, but you know of course it took me a bit of time to figure that out and it also took me a bit of time to figure out really what our you know business model was as as you know we tried to get our head around you know, all the different opportunities in these, in these vastly underserved markets. So then before skipping East, so you're, you're in uh, Czech Republic and you're, you're, you're thinking this through this business model and you're looking at that market out of curiosity. Now you're, that's still where you're, you're based oftentimes is in Prague. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are you seeing in Eastern Europe? Are you seeing it, it track to where you'd expected back 10 years ago? Is it becoming more like Western Europe? Are you seeing more installations of contemporarily like competitive retail washes? Absolutely not. Um, again, there's, you know, I see without this catalyst and, you know, I have, I guess, a, you know, unique vantage point having, as you said, you know, been in the, you know, from the U.S., living in, in, in Europe, having traveled. I mean, I've been to over 100 countries. So, I you know, I, I have a different perspective than certainly a lot of domestic car wash operators. And so I've seen, you know, what else there is um, and, and, you know, carried that with me, I guess. But, uh, but no, again, there hasn't been catalysts. I mean, certainly I'd say quality of, of some of the services has improved. Certainly the, 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 you know, the gas station chains have upgraded the quality of the machinery that they're using in this, in this period. But overall, it's still, and it's, it always fascinates me also that we're, you know, we're right next door to Germany, which is one of the most developed markets in the world. And none of the German operators have, have you know, leaped into the Czech Republic. Prague is one of the wealthier cities in Europe, but, but none of them have, have taken advantage. And again, it's, you know, it's just the kind of the nature of this industry, I think, and the nature of who the operators are. And most of the German operators are, you know, longstanding family-owned businesses. And this is still just a very foreign market to them. And, you know, I've seen this everywhere I've looked. I, you know, I had the, as I said, WashTech really was, was, was um, you know, tremendously helpful in my education in developing markets, given their, their presence and the fact that they actually are usually, I think, an early mover into, into some of these markets. They certainly were in Eastern Europe, certainly were in a developing Asia. And what was so wonderful about, you know, cooperating with them is how, um, you know, welcome they were to, to educating me. It wasn't, there were other operators or manufacturers I spoke to who were essentially, you know, come back to us when you're ready to place an order. But WashTech really helped me get up that curve. And given their the scope of their business, I really looked at pretty much every developing market in in, in Europe um, at that time, you know, and into Eastern Europe. And, you know, at the time, actually was looking at opportunities. This was 10 years ago in, in Russia, even. Um, 
And so I saw, you know, how these different markets, um, uh, you know, developed. And, you know, I, I mean, again, one of the more interesting things is, you know, I was looking at tunnel washes in, you know, even places like Russia and Romania, where they'd have average volumes of 120, 140,000 washes a year. And I was shocked when I started looking at developed markets and look at Germany and see, you know, a lot of these are doing 40,000 because it's, it's counterintuitive. You think, oh, you know, Germany, you know, these must be doing so much better. But obviously it's, it's an intensely competitive market where you go into some of these other cities um, in the east and there's, there's very few operators there. And so those who come in with something better um, really have, you know, the field open, you know, to themselves solely. And, and, uh, but still, that wasn't even enough to, you know, get... Um, either, you know, domestic entrepreneurs or, you know, foreign um, chains to step into into those markets. So. So you decide then in some of this, it sounds like was fortuitous happenstance. Maybe you met this business partner from China, which has helped get that enterprise going. But you went from uh, where there was an underdeveloped maybe market in, in parts of Eastern Europe to just an undeveloped market, it sounds like in China. So talk a little bit about when you uh, met your partner and began looking at the, the Chinese market. Maybe just give us a profile. What what does that market look like at a high level now? How is it organized? Uh, well, players? And what did you see? Well, so, I mean, you know, going back. So this was, you know, the first the first timing was was 2014. And at that point, um, from, you know, as you know, the, our industry isn't isn't great with with uh, statistics, available statistics, especially in some of these developing markets. But I was told there's there was about two percent penetration in automatic. The quality of that was 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 appalling, actually. Um, but but at the same time, like China is a very unique market. I mean, it's the world's largest vehicle market. It's the world's fastest growing vehicle market. You know, China adds every year 50 percent of the vehicle population of Germany. So, I mean, the, the scale of the growth is, is astronomical. I mean, China's grown the vehicles in China have grown 2000% since 2000. In the US, it's grown about 26%. So what, what you need to understand about China is there's no legacy, you know? And so there was almost no vehicles, you know, as recently as, as the millennium. And, and then, you know, it was slow growth. And so, you know, certainly the, so the services were slow to catch up and they were not, you know, done at a, you know, in a sophisticated manner. And so, so, you know, what they call traditional washes, hand washes really proliferated, um, you know, really done in kind of garages and, and uh, you know, and back alleys, essentially. Now, the difference between China and other parts of developing Asia is China doesn't have that surplus of labor. You know, you go to some countries in Asia and, you know, you'll have, you know, 20, 20 kids just standing in, a, in an open lot waiting to wash your car. China doesn't have that. But still, at the time, there was very cheap labor. And so that also helped to fuel this. But you know, so this, the, 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 you know, the scope of these washes expanded with, with the market's growth, you know, the vehicle growth, but the sophistication of them certainly didn't. And then what started happening around the time that we started looking at the market is, is labor costs started going up dramatically. And, and then, you know, the, the side story here, which is what's made it, well, what makes the opportunity so interesting and what's, what's um, you know, helped us so much is actually what the government's role is. What we didn't realize when we started looking um, for locations, because basically, again, my partner, James, started, um, you know, really just trying to help me and bring my business there um, and helped by using local contacts to find, find um, locations. But, but what he realized as we started to look at locations that, that were owned by the governments in, he's based in Suzhou, 
which is our, our headquarters, which is basically, this, it's a city of 15 million that, that um, is right next to Shanghai. It's a 20 minute bullet train ride from the center of Shanghai. So, uh, you know, as we started to look for locations in, in, in his hometown, um, he started to hear actually that the Chinese government had red flagged the car wash sector for water waste and pollution. And so this, the way that China works is really so they different. flagged that because of the legacy model, you're saying, because it was largely hand or hard well, paper. Well, actually, I mean, you know, what I think it was, was, you know, there are water issues in China, and especially up north near Beijing, there's water shortage issues. And so I don't think it was that the car wash sector itself was, you know, such a, such a problem. But I think they were looking at industries where, you know, water was being used perhaps inefficiently. And then, of course, a lot of, you know, the, the, you know, the polluted water after washes was just being dumped into the sewer. Right. But the way that China works is, is again, it's, it's quite different to what we hear, um, those of us not doing business there. Um, first of all, it's very decentralized. Um, and actually, most of the decision making is up to the local municipalities. But second of all, um, you know, certain issues like this, the, the central government will kind of identify an issue, but they don't um, direct a solution. And, and I, I studied when I was looking at the, the industry, what had gone on with, with like scooters, just, you know, gas powered scooters. And it was the same type of thing. The, the, the government, then this was in the 90s, had red flagged these for pollution and, and other issues, but they didn't suggest a solution, they didn't enforce a solution. And as, you know, electronic scooters improved um, and became cheaper, different cities, you know, some, you know, because the way that, Communist Party officials in these cities distinguish themselves is by kind of embracing policy and showing initiative, showing creativity in its execution. And so what you find is there were some cities that embraced this and said, this is where, how we want to identify ourselves. This is a top priority. Others said, you know, whatever, let somebody else solve it. We don't really care. Once there's a standard, we'll embrace that and everything in between. So we got very lucky in that we basically stumbled across a, a city of 1.2 million, a city called Taisong, which is basically in between Suzhou and, and, and Shanghai, that had decided that they wanted to be the clean car wash city. This was about 2015. They had no idea what this meant. They had no idea anything about car wash, but they heard that this was you know, on the radar of the central government and they wanted to solve this problem. And so when we were looking at, at locations in that market, and they saw our model, with, which was you know, really built for Europe, full water recycling, you know, state-of-the-art technology. They said, this is it. And so offered us, instead of a, a, a location that we were looking at, a, an exclusive joint venture for the entire city of 1.2 million. So that's turned into a really fruitful relationship with us, not only because the, 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 the locations that, that they've helped us or, or provided us, but, but actually they grew with us. And so, you know, we didn't really know anything about this market. It was, we were a first mover. It was a very underdeveloped market. There wasn't really any models to look at. WashTech had been there since 2008. They were giving us some guidance, but at that point they hadn't even sold a tunnel in the market. And so we were still a first mover. And so Taisong city government and ourselves really looked at this step-by-step -step, analyzing. They helped us understand regulation, what was possible, um, and it helped us understand kind of legacy um, conditions. And meanwhile, we were introducing them to really, you know, better operational models, better technology and how this could be done. So the, the fruition of that was the, what we, we opened in 20, summer 2018, our first wash, which was also the uh, first tunnel wash in China, 
which is also the greenest car wash in China. This is why the government embraced it. It was because we had a full water recycling model. And so the government, the city government promoted this as, in their words, an environmental landmark. And so that was really, you know, so we realized that this was, um, you know, a huge opportunity. We had, we were a first mover with this solution. And so we really embraced the green and the water recycling as, you know, a fundamental, you know, core part of our own identity. And, and what, what today, I mean, I guess 2014, it sounds like is when you first got serious about it, 2018, your first store, how is the rest of the market organized and how has that changed? So are you seeing other, whether it's tunnels or automatics, whatever the style, are you seeing professionalization because of this, this, uh, this initiative at the national level? Are some other communities uh, doing the same thing that you have found? Well, yeah, so we are still at the forefront of, on the environmental side, because we're, we're several steps ahead of the policy. We still have full water recycling in every one of our locations. Now, as of this year, they're starting, first well, first what we saw very soon after we got active was there was a moratorium on new licenses. So basically there was always, I think it was always difficult to get a license to run a car wash in China, but basically a lot of other, um, you know, people, you know, small operators who are doing other automotive services repair, you know, started providing the service. They weren't properly licensed for it. The government just looked the other way. It wasn't, you know, a terribly harmful act. And, uh, you know, people needed the service. But as, A, the, you know, this has become more of an issue um, and, and Beijing's got a bit more aggressive in, in enforcing these, these environmental standards, um, the first step was just a moratorium on, on issuing new licenses unless you were fully compliant. But, but we were still well ahead of what compliant meant at that time. And even still... Um, in some of the more um, advanced markets, such as Shanghai, um, all that's required now is sedimentation tanks. But we, we see the writing on the wall and, and water recycling will certainly be, um, uh, you know, we, we know from our context in the government, this is an ultimate objective. Basically, nobody else is compliant. I mean, there is still, you know, a Chinese way of doing it. You've got some who are burying tanks and just still, you know, it's essentially, you know, a just a, a full water recycling system, dump water in there, dumps right straight in the sewer, but nobody really knows what's going on underground. But a lot who still just aren't compliant. But what, so where the, 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 the automatic market has moved ahead, but what we're seeing is still, again, I'd say quite a, a Chinese approach to it in that there's the mindset of the only thing that matters is, is customer acquisition. So quality of service, um, quality of technology, you know, any, any of these, 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 you know, elements that are really core to what Splash's identity is, aren't a priority there. And so those who moved quickly, and there was only a handful, moved to join forces with the, with the petrol operators. You've got, um, you know, Sinopec and CNPC, the two giant, you know, Chinese petroleum companies are like the second, third largest companies in the world, have networks in aggregate of 50,000 petrol stations. So a lot of the, well, the, the, the few that moved quickly and aggressively we're opening on their sites. Now, what was unattractive about that to us, those are, they're unbranded. They, they have no access to their own data and they're really at the mercy of the, of the, the petrol um, companies who have now as, as, you know, electronic cars are starting to proliferate and, you know, petroleum revenues are down. They're looking for other revenue streams. So they are getting more aggressively into the sector and kicking these guys off and, and, um, you know, becoming a much less, and they were never easy to work with, but becoming more and more complicated. So we, we've taken a very different path. We are, we're an independent operator. We own and operate everything ourselves. 
The other thing that some of those operators started to do to both you know, respond to you know, the changes of the market and respond to the changes from the petrol companies was get into franchises. But you know, you've got, you're reaching out to franchises that have, you know, you know, that are very little disposable income to invest, have no history in the industry. And so, and you know, they have no method of controlling these. And so again, the quality is appalling. Um, the services are appalling. And to make this model work, they're using kind of the cheapest domestic manufactured technologies um, because it's the only way that, you know, on both sides they can get this. So, so from our perspective, most of the, you know, the companies that are building scale right now are running, I think, in a wrong direction and in a, in, a, in a direction that will, I think, play itself out. We are trying to establish ourselves really as the first what we call car care operator. You know, we really care about the customer, care about the vehicle, we care about the environment. And since, since our establishment, we've been developing our internal proprietary software system that allows us, you know, so we own our own data, but it also allows us to fully manage our relationships with the customer. It allows us much better control of our locations, connection of our locations, monitoring. And, you know, so we're really, as our, as our network grows, we're now at 57 locations. You know, this is becoming more and more important for, for our growth, but it's also becoming much more important in our ability to, to manage the quality side of this business and to add additional services and really properly manage the relationships with the customer. So, Rob, the the environmental impact or the environmental element of the car wash business, the professional car wash industry, is what got the attract or is, is attractive to this local municipality where you started. It's a federal initiative to sort of use this sector as a greening or to green this sector, I should say. Yes. Um, what are you seeing on the consumer side, though? Have you had to? Is there great resonance with that with the customer, or have you sort of had to train them up a little bit? I mean, with first mover, is it's one of those do you create the demand first before the demand is already latently there waiting for you, right? So there had to be a little bit of a chicken and the egg. What have you learned about the customer? Yeah, no, it's an excellent question. Like Chinese customers are very open to change. I mean, you look at what's happened in China over the past 20, 30 years. I mean, the, the country reinvents itself every few years. So they're, they're very receptive to change. However, they're very educated. They spend an extraordinary amount of time on their phones researching, watching videos, understanding. So, you know, we had, we talked to some people in the industry when we opened our first tunnel who said, you know, there's going to be lines around the block, you know, all day, every day. Talked to others, most actually who were in China said, there's no way you could support a business of this scale just washing cars. You have to do maintenance. You have to do other things. It's, it's impossible. And what we found was it was a gradual, there was a, a very, there was a learning curve. Absolutely. And we had to, to educate and, you know, and so, you know, we had, that was, you know, that slowed the, the growth curve for that business, certainly, but it was very quickly able to support itself, was break even very quickly. But yes, it's a, it's a slow, they are educated consumers. They take their time. So if you're an unrecognized brand, and certainly we are an unrecognized brand and an unrecognized service, it took time. But now we're seeing this is accelerating. I mean, there's still a, a ways to go. Um, but we see as we open a new site today versus when we opened a new site three years ago, you know, much quicker that site will get up to certainly break even levels and, and more closer to our, where our targets are. Um, but it's still, you know, as we enter new markets, um, it's, it's, you know, there is, we, we have to keep replicating this. And, you know, and then one of the other challenges is that so many of the other automatic operators are really very low quality. And so you then have the stigma of, you know, some of these aren't using soap. Some of them are using dishwasher soap. 
you know, some are using, you know, you know, decade old rusted machinery. So, you know, you're also having to show them that this service can be done well. Um, and when done well, there's actually, you know, benefits to the customer and the vehicle. So, and we also found that with the government, we've also found that with other partners. I mean, we are, um, we have a lot of other, you know, industry partners or, or, or um, you know, we, we partner with other municipalities, in various parts of Shanghai, Suzhou, Chengdu. Also, we've, we've formed partnerships with companies such as, as Didi, which is, you know, the Uber of China. But with everything, you know, it's all of their first foray into the car wash sector. And so what we thought as we like would team up with residential real estate developers to put washes in their neighborhoods, that this would be, you know, just a quick and easy. We realized that there's nobody in their company that understands the industry. There's nobody that understands what a good site is. They, you know, they don't have anybody that, that you know, they can they could delegate this work to. So so the, the initial stages were much slower and, you know, it was much more kind of heavy lifting and, and learning curves on kind of every side. But we, we've, we've surpassed that now. And I think there's we see a lot more momentum as our brand gets recognized and as our service gets recognized. Well, I don't want that statistic to get lost in a few minutes ago, because you, you've you've mentioned a lot of these challenges, and you know everything from being a Westerner coming into that market for the first time, probably having a language gap and having to learn the cultural norms, and then having to learn how business is done, and the customers aren't familiar with what you're offering, and there's a legacy brand. Uh, what would be the opposite of a halo? Whatever it is that's degrading <laughs> the brand, right? So you have both things, but. But you just said you've got 57 stores in four years. I mean, it's a pretty tremendous um, growth story. So what do those 57 stores look like now, Rob? What's your mix? I mean, I know you mentioned you're all independent. You're not aligned with petroleum gas station um, uh, formats. Right. Are you? What do those look like? Tunnels, automatics, uh, or, or more? Well, so as you mentioned, you know, we, so we started with the first tunnel in China, and, you know, based on what we were just talking about, there is a learning curve. And so this is where we think the market can, can head. I mean, you know, I look at cities in Germany that have, you know, tens of thousands of people population and have multiple tunnels. You look at China, 1.5 billion, and there's one tunnel. Obviously, there's, there's huge room for growth there. Um, also, right now, vehicle penetration in China is only 21%. Um, U.S. it's, I think, what, 82% or something. So, you know, there's just extraordinary growth that's left. And you look at the densities of these markets, and certainly we believe, you know, large-scale um, tunnel facilities is where the market's headed. But, you know, they're slow to build, and, you know, we have to familiarize, you know, customers in a market with what who we are and what our service is. So what we're doing is we are we're moving very quickly with what we call our express model, but it's not the express model of the U.S. It's, it's, uh, it's gantry. Um, but what we've done, you know, then we've done this for several reasons. In China, these are very quick and easy to put up. We can put up a, a wash in, in two weeks. Um, all of the partners we've chosen, we've chosen because, and most of these are municipalities or state-owned companies, because they have access to very large portfolios of land. And so we can, through them, find, you know, get access to new locations. And we also now have our own business development team in our core markets. Um, but, you know, so, so the Express or the Gantry model allows us to move very quickly and very cheaply. Um, but, you know, we, we don't want to, you know, at this, what we call our super center, which is the, 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 uh, our, our tunnel, which has Express interior, has detailing, also has, um, uh, you know, the tunnel. And I should actually mention we, we have, we're the exclusive distributor for Simonize um, for, for all of China. And so we have, uh, you know, close relationship with them and really working develop our detailing centers together with 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 the team with Bill's team in, in Connecticut. 
Um, but you know, so since we want to you know to meet these you know these both both elements of the market, we're also building detailing centers. Um, and so essentially, we've taken our super center and split it. And instead of taking a year to build, say maybe a million dollars and go through lots of permitting and headaches and lots of risk in that process, we've taken two you know the elements of it and and deliver them separately. You know, and it's only tens of thousands of dollars and only several weeks for the development. So this is allowing us to really spread the footprint, really build customer relationships, build brand recognition very quickly. Um, certainly, you know, given the, the the nature of the market, there'll always be opportunity and in dense markets like central Shanghai, you know, you're never going to get the real estate to be able to do a tunnel or, you know, or a facility of scale. And so we'll continue to, to use these two models for, for growth, especially in dense urban areas. But as the brand gets better known and as we, you know, as I think as, as customers become more familiar with the service, we certainly want to move on to the, the, the you know, the larger the tunnel model going forward. So you mentioned, I think I heard you say, is that right? Like a two week development period. So yeah. I'm guessing these are not, you're not doing property. You're not entitling land. I mean, you're not, you're not perhaps purchasing right. the property. You're, I assume it's a short or long-term lease of some type is more standard, the model. Yeah. And this is what's, you know, our government relationships enable us to get some, some, some excellent locations at, at, you know, very, you know, super competitive rates. We'll have, you know, three, five, 10, 30 year um, leases for various sites. Um, yeah, so we are not buying, and, and what we're doing actually, because if you build a physical structure, um, you actually have to go through a very extensive permitting. So really, and we're, we're right now we're operating kind of Shanghai and below where um, the weather doesn't get very severe. So we're actually able to just put machines um, with you know kind of paneling, water recycling above ground, and, and really put these things up very quickly. We're looking at opportunities for the north, Beijing, and other markets where. You know, we can replicate this with different technology, which is essentially enclosed machinery that will still allow us, you know, the machine itself, you know, is, is self well, seals off so it doesn't freeze, but we still don't have to build the structure. So this is speed. I mean, if you you look at Starbucks has adapted their model for China. I just I just read yesterday since 2020, they've opened one, at least an average of one store every 15 hours over the past two and a half years. So, you know, they've adapted also, and their model for expansion in China is also quite different. So when you're looking at an opportunity of that scale, you know, you have to understand what the regulations are and you have to, you know, find a, a custom model to take advantage of that specific opportunity. So, Rob, as we um, I, I need to let you get back, by the way, to to what you're doing at some point here. <laughs> it's amazing with the 57 stores and you've given us a lot of your time. But but I, I, it would seem like a, a miss if I didn't ask, how do you look at the world now compared to where it was when you started? I mean, uh, we think about this a lot, even in the associations business with trade show partners we have around the world. I mean, one is right now in Eastern Europe, there is a war, right? And and globalization at least took a pause during the pandemic, if not faced some real challenges. So to, as you look out maybe five years or 10 years, do you think that um, the, the what you're capitalizing on is still almost inevitable? I mean, you're, you're in a demographics play maybe more than you are or a supply demand play than you are necessarily on, on depending upon um, other factors. You may be able to do this on your own in China. You don't, you won't require perhaps European or American partners, but if you look at the world and step back, how do you look at, at where we are today versus where you started? And does that make you more optimistic, less optimistic? Where will that come into play? 
Well, it's 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 funny. I mean, these, yeah, you know, I mean, you you just have to be, you know, expecting unexpected to be adaptable. I mean, ironically, actually, the part I left out of our story is the reason why I actually met James. Um, actually, goes back to Russia. I had had an investor actually for the Central European business, and that's when Russia invaded Crimea, and they were an Amer- a very conservative American investor, and they got spooked. So I was actually going back to to fill that gap when I met James. So, I mean, it's ironic how these things play out, but, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to get, you know, uh, you know, too philosophical on it, but I think, you know, a lot of the, you know, it's the business links and I actually, and looking specifically at China, it's how integrated China is to the global economy that I think gives me confidence and off, you know, has, as is, is, um, I think, you know, a fundamental, maybe, you know, what well, I would say forces them to play nice or nicer, Perhaps than they would. Russia has is, is always been quite detached, and it's a very small portion. They 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 think they have the leverage with you know with um, you know gas supplies and stuff in Europe. They've tried to use that aggressively. So I think actually commercial ties are really um, I think you know one of the maybe you know I don't know things that could could save us in the future for from from some of this political conflict because you know you see how much harm you can do to yourself by um, maybe causing problems elsewhere, and so. Certainly, you know, China is is extraordinarily plugged into the global community. Uh, the world's dependent on China. China is quite dependent upon the rest of the world, be it for resources, for, you know, purchasing the goods that they make. So so it gives me, you know, I think it gives me a lot of optimism there. And and meanwhile, you know, just looking more kind of on the macro level to micro level, sorry, to what we're doing. I mean, this is just, I think, the most extraordinary opportunity I'll ever see in my lifetime. I mean, this is, you've got... The world's, you know, the most frequently used automotive service in the world's largest and fastest growing auto market. And it is going to completely transform itself over the next, you know, five, 10 years. Our industry has never seen anything like this. And this is, you know, part of the reason why I'm really happy to, to share, you know, this time with you and, and whatever other time, you know, would be useful because I, I'd like to raise, you know, the profile of what's going on in China. I think there's, you know, I think especially in our industry, it's, you know, right now there's there's a tremendous amount of activity going on, especially in the U.S. Um, but, you know, U.S., Western Europe are very developed markets. China, as I mentioned, it takes, you know, two years for China to, to, to acquire as many vehicles or buy as many vehicles as exist in the entire Germany or entire U.K., similar numbers. Um, and so this is just, I mean, a never to be seen and never to be repeated opportunity. And it's transforming very quickly and you see even, you know, just, uh, you know, small independent uh, entrepreneurs can really go in and have a big, big impact. Now, you know, we 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 have a very, you know, we're I, I have experienced bringing you know, new business models into developing markets or existing business models, sorry, into new business to developing markets. And, you know, I understand where you trust your gut. I understand where you respect kind of local customs and all. And so that's that's helped me through this. I understand China is a very you know, foreign, confusing and complicated place to a lot of people in our industry. But I'd say certainly to, you know, manufacturers and suppliers, Chinese love foreign brands. They absolutely, they respect the quality of foreign brands they look to. I mean, as we bring Simonize in, we're keeping, you know, we're keeping English language labels. We're really promoting the history of that brand. We're promoting the the, the foreign element, the American element of that brand, because that's really what the consumer cares about. I mean, when we start, we've had instances where the Chinese government has insisted that we use 
foreign-made equipment. And so there's there's really a, there, there, it's very receptive, and actually, you know, it, it plays plays very well there, and they and consumers look for it there. And so so there is a tremendous opportunity. It just takes time to understand what that is. You need you know local partners who you can trust, um, you know, who can help you navigate. And certainly, you know, Splash hopes to to play this this role, you know, within our industry. Also, we're doing this now. There's other European manufacturers that we're discussing with, you know, and are helping to use our relationships and our experience to help kind of smooth their entry into that market. As I mentioned, you know, we've had this this very strong relationship now with Simonize, and I mean, there is there is nothing that will compare to what 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 we are now uh, the opportunity we're looking at. And I think it's you know something that people should be aware of. Um, I think they shouldn't be afraid of. They should understand it's complicated. It's different, um, but but it is. It's not insurmountable. I mean, you've got you know essentially an individual who came in, you know, pissed off at a bad car wash in Prague, who's going and you know really making we're making waves in that industry now, and really at the forefront where the government's you know only partner in our industry actually, and we're helping them to to create policy that that. Um, you know, governs the, you know, water regulation, everything for the car wash industry. So you can have a real big impact, even in a market of that size. And that's that, you know, foreign and confusing. You just really need to take the right approach to it. Be thoughtful, listen, observe, and, and you know, be strategic in how you're approaching it. So, Rob, the, the timing of this couldn't be any better. I mean, here we are, I sit in the U.S., obviously, and uh, most folks are up to their eyeballs in orders and activity and new store construction and trying to get supplies delivered in time. I mean, you know what the conditions are. And uh, the European market's been quite healthy for several years, particularly on the independent side as people build out tunnels and such in, in other parts of Europe. And, and then we look up and here's Rob, here's Rob <laughs> on the edge of the empire, sort of bringing car washes um, into an entirely new market with unbelievable, you know, opportunity ahead. And I really want to thank you for sharing this story with us. I don't know where else we'd get this perspective, uh, what you're doing, your results are tremendous. The opportunity you found is really exciting. And I want to thank you for sharing that story with us. I don't know where I'll bump into you next, but I'll uh, very much look forward to it. Well, I, I very much appreciate the opportunity. I, you know, I'm happy any anytime anybody wants to to talk about what the opportunities in China. I think it's it's fascinating, it's exciting. I really um, would love to do so, and you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully there'll be a car wash show in Beijing again before too long. Certainly have to remove the quarantines. I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that upon you to 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 be locked in a hotel room for three weeks like we're going to have to do. But uh, yeah, certainly. I'll let you remain the vanguard and I'll surf behind <laughs> you. So let me know how that comes along. But good luck to you. Really appreciate it. Thank time. you. Appreciate Great it. Reconnect. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks everybody for listening to Car Wash the podcast. Remember, make sure you leave us a review and a five star rating, of course, wherever you're listening to your podcast. And remember, keep it clean. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.